Absolutely stinging. Uh, heartbreaking, I guess, in a way, but it's stinging probably more than anything. Uh, cold season comes to an end Saturday night inside of Lucas Oil Stadium and then salt meat wounds Sunday afternoon. As with Jacksonville losing, now you got Houston leading off wild card weekend with a home game against the Cleveland Browns. Uh, good morning or good afternoon or good evening, whenever the hell you're listening to it. We appreciate it. Uh, this is another edition of Kevin's Corner and the final game recap of the year. I'm Kevin Bowen. Eddie Garrison is with me as always. Eddie, um, the finality of the NFL, the sudden nature to it, it always hits me. Always really hits me. And I would argue maybe this year more than ever. Just because you know, I think I like walked to the bathroom with like four minutes to go in the game. I don't know when one of those timeouts happened. I'm like, man, Colts are going to win this. <laughs> like, And then all of a sudden, it, it, it's over. And it's over like that. And then you see what happens on Sunday. And, again, Houston is hosting a home playoff game. And I think so much of the – so much of, like, the past history of lack of postseason success has kind of also hit me in the last 24 hours of, like, damn, you know, 25 other teams have won a division title since you last have. Everybody in the South has won multiple division titles since you last have won one. Um, And, you know, obviously there's context around all of it. And this season certainly had many, many more positive moments than we thought. But just those opportunities do not grow on trees. And I think I said that last Thursday on our podcast, and you're reminded of it. And certainly Saturday night was a great, great opportunity and disappointing to let it get away, even though we'll look back in a couple months and you'll remember a whole lot of good from this season. Yeah, it just feels like yesterday we were – talking about training camp at Grand Park and OTAs and talking about, will Jonathan Taylor suit up for the Colts again in his uh, NFL career? Will he get an extension? And now you're looking at the season. We're recapping it all now. And I have to thank everyone for listening from all the way back in August to where we're at now. Yeah, and you know, part of the stinging nature to Saturday night is obviously the game itself and how it unfolded. And we'll get to that and what I didn't like and what I liked from the game. But also part of it, again, walking out of that stadium and I'm taking the elevator down with some of the stadium workers and they're talking with each other and they're like, well, damn, I guess I won't see you next weekend. And I get out of the elevator. I'm like, yeah, I mean, you know, Eddie, it's been nearly a decade since you've hosted a home playoff game. And, you know, again, this is where some of the sting, it's it's the present day sting of what unfolded in the 60 minutes on Saturday night. But it's also the, you're in a rebuild because you haven't, you know, won the division in nine years. And you just have one playoff win in that time frame. And unquestionably, you are on the right path moving forward. I mean, that is no debate in my mind. And, and I haven't said that in a lot of past January. So that's huge. And that's vital moving forward. Um, and I do think the Shane Sykin presence is huge for this franchise and Anthony Richardson as well uh, but damn dude that one hurts that one hurts a lot uh, from from Saturday night how do you think Shane was feeling when he went home and you think he's been able to sleep much I would say no yeah judging by his locker room clean out comments I would echo that as well so um, again as we get in the offseason Eddie we'll, we'll, we'll stick to one pot a week unless breaking news merits a little bit more than that just briefly before we get into the game itself, um, you know, I think it's the most notable list of in-house free agents that you've had in the Chris Boward era. I'd mm-hmm. argue dating deep into the Gregson era, really, 
Um, you could even maybe go back to the Colts version of Black Monday in what 2011. You know when they moved on from Polian to to Grigson. Um, obviously, ample cap space north of 70 million. I think a huge chunk of that will go in house. You know, to use the franchise tag on Michael Pittman Jr. will be a huge storyline. Uh, with that, obviously the Gus Bradley decision, I think, is one that needs to be had. I believe we got some Twitter questions on that, mm-hmm. so maybe I'll hold off on any more of those comments till then. Um, but you know, outside of that, you know, the rest of January should be relatively quiet, which we have not said that about the Colts in, in quite some time because you know your head coach, you know your quarterback situation. But you know, once that franchise da- tag deadline comes around. Uh, what is that, like late February, early March? Mm-hmm. That's where everything will get started. And then free agency there in mid-March. And again, you know, Grover Stewart and Kenny Moore and Julian Blackman. I mean, hell, if you're Julian Blackman's agent watching Saturday night, you're foaming at the mouth Yep. for your client there and the safety issues that you did have in that game. So um, a lot off-season-wise to get to, but I would say more so than ever, Eddie. It's not necessarily coach. You know, I don't know. Ballard's not not going anywhere it's just a lot of just you know what do you do in-house with some key personnel you know if you're going to tell me Pittman Stewart Moore Blackman four of your top dozen players on your football team something uh, along those lines so uh, gonna be an interesting couple months here for Chris Bauer and company yeah absolutely you want to start recapping the game a little bit yeah yeah Okay, obviously, since the Colts lost let's start with you did what you didn't like and I think it's pretty easy there was no uh, plan in place to contain Nico Collins. Nine catches, 195 yards, and a touchdown. Yeah, nine catches on nine targets, if you want to add a little bit more salt meeting the wound there. Eddie, I started here. I didn't start fourth and one for a reason. Why? Because for 60 minutes on Saturday night, Nico Collins, the only legitimate threat the Texans had at the wideout position, he absolutely kicked your ass. He kicked your ass. He roasted you. What you know, toast, uh, insert any other rhyming words there. Um, the plan sucked. The execution of the plan sucked. The coverage sucked. And he absolutely ran over you, literally, in trying to tackle him as well. Nico Collins is a nice player. He's not that. Or certainly hasn't been that yet in his NFL career. Um, you know, I was driving into Lucas Oil Stadium Saturday night, and I was trading texts back with a radio colleague of ours in Houston down at their affiliate, and I went on their station on Friday. We're going back and forth, just thoughts on the game, and when we found out Robert Woods is out, I'm like, dude, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is a practice squad group of wideouts now behind Nico Collins. He's like, I know, huge worry of mine. And that's a huge reason why I thought the Colts would win this game, and I thought there was a chance Robert Woods would play in the game. But then when Woods was ruled out, that's number two, three, and four out for the Texans. And I said the first thing I said to Mike Chappell, and I sat down to him next to him in the press box, I go, anybody but Collins. Anybody but Collins. Dalton Schultz needs 13 catches over the course of the game to impact it. Damian Pierce and Devin Singletary, they're not built to carry things. Uh, even C.J. Stroud in that atmosphere, as great as Stroud was, and boy was he special, he, You know, he obviously needed somebody, and, and Collins was that. The first play of the game when it happens, I'm thinking, myself, there's no way that was Collins. Was that really him? Man coverage? Go back and watch the first play, folks. Three-man route tree. 
One is a tight end that the Colts treated like it was Travis Kelsey and George Kittle having a kid. Uh-huh. I don't know where Taylor Swift would fit into that, but that's what it looked like with the attention they gave the tight three end. Three dudes on him. It, it, at least three. You, you could honestly say there were even more eyes were, on that tight yeah. end. And the third guy in the route tree, Eddie, is a running back out of the backfield. It's not like they had John Mechie in the slot next to Nico Collins, and he occupied some eyes or some zone coverage or what, whatever. I hope for Gus Bradley's sake that was a Nick Cross coverage bust, but um, again, nine catches, nine targets, 195 yards from the first quarter to the second to the third. Eddie, it's a screen, and he's running through missed tackles and running over Colts. It's the first play of the second half on a comeback route that Juju Brents hurts his hamstring on, and then boom. Um, you know, the, the the second and 13 or second and 14, whatever it was in the eventual game-winning drive where he takes the hit and he, and he converts that. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was incredible. And this has been an issue for the Colts in allowing – Good to great football players look like first ballot Hall of Famers. And that's what you allowed Nico Collins on Saturday night. Are you at a deficiency with personnel? Certainly. That means that schematically and game plan wise, you do everything. Wherever number 12 goes, there's another guy with him. That to me is the philosophy you had to have and make guys like Johnny Johnson Jr. and Xavier Hutchinson. These are real names. These are not guys that played in the Army All-American Bowl over the weekend. These are real football names that got into the game on Saturday night for the Texans. Those other wideouts, two for 11 yards. Nico Collins, nine for 195. So Mm -hmm. I want to start here, Eddie, because that's the 60-minute ass-kicking. Fourth and one is fourth and one. And plays like fourth and one, they happen, you know, every week. Obviously, the magnitude of Saturday night is different. But this was just... Outclassed and outcoached and out-executed by the only legitimate weapon they had. There were moments, particularly both touchdowns, where I literally thought, wait a minute, am I watching Notre Dame-Ohio State the final play? <laughs> there had to be 10 Colts on the field. Like There were legitimate moments during the game yeah. where I thought that. I'm like, there had to have been. Did they run somebody off and they should have ran somebody on the field? Mm-hmm. That's how wide open some of those plays were. And, again, Julian Blackman's agent. I, it, I said to you last Thursday, Eddie, when I picked the Colts, I, I, I hope I made it clear to our audience that I thought long and hard about the Texans. Mm-hmm. And I said to you, am I just overthinking this? And I kept asking you, where's the butt? They Where's have the CJ Stroud. Yeah. Like, like I'm just overthinking it. Like, kept, but then I'm like, you know what? No, no, no. They're so depleted. Go with that. Like, go with a little, you know, you know me. I kind of like a little, yeah, I like a lot of, frankly, rationale behind any, you know, comment that I that I make. So I wanted to make sure that I had that. And maybe I was looking for it too, too much. Um, but I really felt like, okay, they will be able to make someone else beat them in that game. And they absolutely did not there. So uh, to lead off, again, the plan for Nico Collins. And then if you want to get I – well, I know it wasn't all Collins on that final drive, Eddie, but – It was heavy Dalton Schultz and that missed tackle by – Missed tackle by Baker. I mean, second and 20, first and 20, second and 14. The Houdini play to Collins when, when Stroud just kind of threw it up, man. Um, that drive, that's going to be the one. It's just, I think, really hard to overcome and get away from from Saturday night. Um, next up, you did not like the fourth and one. 
Yeah, I, I, I did not. Um, I know you and I disagree on this, so I definitely want to give you the platform to share your thoughts once I'm done. I guess maybe just kind of let me lay this out, Eddie, and then I'll give you the floor from here. Um, how I you how I kind of view play calling and decisions like that is, you know, if you're Shane Steichen, you can't control everything, right? That's why football is football and people coach and people play. But what you can control is this. You can control the personnel on the field and you can control the play call. That's what I can control. And so after you take that time out, I'm thinking, all right, you go down swinging with your horses. Jonathan Taylor, at that point of the game, he had been a triple crown winning horse. He had been incredible. Was he a little banged up? Probably. But still, he had been an incredible horse at that point. I'd argue Michael Pittman Jr. and Josh Downs in those moments have been pretty darn good for you, pretty darn reliable for you this season. Uh, I, I even think of Zach Moss behind the second highest paid offensive line in football isn't the craziest thought either there. Um, I also feel like we we should do this. When those moments and games arise, I try to jot down my notes right away, like my pre-play thoughts, so that I can't go hindsight's 2020. I want to make sure that like I state something, and I know I'm not saying it publicly, I'm saying it privately, but I remember looking down and seeing Goodson in the huddle, and I sit next to Mike Chappell and the walkie-talkie dudes. The walkie-talkie dudes uh, are always great, great, right? And, and they are big fans. You know, they are they are fans of it. So that's a little bit different perspective than kind of Chap and I who are, you know, in there working. Walkie-talkie dudes. Yeah, think about, like, all the walkie-talkies that, like, Colts personnel use during a game. Like, mm. uh, like in-game people, you okay. know, marketing people, you know, staff, all the logistics of, you know, whatever. Hey, we got to do the just ran on the game field. Game day operations. Here's secure, yes, game day operations is the perfect way to describe it. So I'm sitting there and I go, wait a minute, is that Goodson in the huddle? And then I thought to myself, oh, Taylor's got to be in the huddle as well. And, you know, Eddie, there were points in the game where they had Goodson and Taylor in the huddle together. And you know, I think listeners of this podcast will know I've long been an advocate for kind of multiple back sets. I like those, you know, sorts of, okay, you got versatile players, utilize them in versatile ways. And then all of a sudden I scan to the sideline and I'm like, wait a minute, where's Taylor? Oh, wow, he's on the bench for the most important play of the season. So that was my first thought. Um, And then the play happens as it did. And I look at the play call and the personnel utilized and thought, you brought too much risk onto the field for that play. I'm thinking Pittman or Downs on a rub route. I'm thinking, um, again, second highest paid O-line in football. Uh, Houston had not given you some jumbo package look by any means from a run defense standpoint. Can you run Moss? You know, how about a two-back set with Taylor at the top of the top of the formation, Moss at fullback, and Moss behind Quentin Nelson? You know, Moss is a guy that falls forward. Moss is a one-cut dude. I mean, he, he he's not going to be jitterbugging around in the back uh, backfield like that. Um, so what you're saying by saying Gardner Minshew to Tyler Goodson is you are you are bringing risk onto the field with guys that aren't starters, that have had inconsistency to their resumes. Eddie, they had inconsistency in the game. Do you recall the first target, the only target Gardner Minshew had to Tyler Goodson before that fourth and one play? I don't remember it, but I know he had a target. In the red zone, opposite side of the field, Minshew wildly inaccurate to Goodson high and outside 
I find that interesting of that was high and outside because I thought the Minshew throw was low and inside on the fourth and one. And basically what you're asking for is you're saying, I need two backup type players. And honestly, calling Goodson a backup is probably a bit of a compliment, which I, I feel bad in talking about this way in Goodson because, man, I thought postgame he handled it so brilliantly. Felt terrible for the kid. Um, but the reality of the situation is his resume has been mostly as a practice squad guy. Um, so that's what you're saying. You're saying that instead of wanting as proven as you can get in that moment, i.e. Pittman, i.e. Downs, whoever, you're saying two backup players in the most pressure-packed moment of the of the season, they've got to perform like quality starters or however you want to describe that. And if you watch the play unfold, there's blame for Minshew and there's blame for Goodson. So you needed both of them to excel and maybe have a little bit of an out-of-body out of body experience is probably too much, but just perform their duties at a high level in the most pressure-packed play of the situation. I go back to the Raiders game. Fourth down, Minshew throws the ball to Pittman. Not the most accurate ball in the world, but you gave Pittman a chance. And Pittman showed why he is going to get paid very, very handsomely this offseason. He makes kind of an outside catch radius throw or catch and extends the drive. Josh Downs did that in Germany earlier this year on the third down to ice it. That was a nice ball by Minshew. wasn't a perfect ball by Minshew. But again, Josh Downs is able to be in that moment and look like a guy vastly experienced and, and, and ready for that situation there. Um, and that's where I disagreed with what Shane Steichen decided to go with in Minshew and Goodson. You're putting guys that have not earned the trust to be in that situation, and you're putting them in the most pressure-packed situation of the season and saying perform. And when you take the time out, the pressure builds because now those two think about it even more. And it's not riding the hot hand. I just described to you the Minshew to Goodson throw from earlier in the game. It was wildly inaccurate. So now it's two players that human nature, you think back to that, Again, Minshew high and outside the first one, low and inside on the second one. You watch Goodson run the route, it almost looks like he could have sat down. Like he had the he had a lot of space. He only needed one yard. He almost could have sat down and not it seemed like his momentum carried him a little bit further than maybe Minshew thought. Like if you were gonna say, no, Minshew threw that accurate, uh, Goodson ran a little bit too far. Um, is part of that a little bit Goodson again, nervous for the moment? And he just he, he gets a little hyperactive, and all of a sudden he's thinking about running after the football and doesn't secure it. And obviously he's got to kind of do a little 180 with his body to turn back and get his two hands in the football. Um, again, all of this comes down to the root of it is players, not plays. And when the play works on a Thursday afternoon in the shadow of Eagle Creek, that doesn't mean the play's going to work Saturday night inside of Lucas Oil Stadium. I think context matters. Um, you were not riding the hot hand. It was one of the worst games of Gardner Minshew's career, and yet you put the entire season on the line with those two. So um, that pretty much sums up where uh, where I'm at it with it. Um, the more you put backups into this situation, the more you see why they're backups. You see why Tyler Goodson went undrafted, despite having a very productive career at Iowa, despite running 4-4 in the 40-yard dash. There's inconsistencies. There's inconsistencies with their games. And there's more than Michael Pittman has. There's more than Josh Downs has. I'd rather go down swinging with a ball to Pittman, with a ball to Downs, than I'd rather go down swinging than a ball to Tyler Goodson. I didn't think the play, schematically, I thought the play call 
was the right call because obviously it schemed up a wide open Tyler Goodson. They'd have to just execute in that situation. But the only problem that I had was 28 being on the sideline. Like that was the main problem I had with the situation was that your best player offensively and frankly in the game that day was on the sideline in the biggest play of the season. Yeah. You, you you threw to a guy, Eddie, who literally had a quote after the game saying, I hope I'm here next year. Like, yeah. Like that that's where my issue is of I think the biggest bullshit quote from coaches is we have full belief in all of our players. No, you don't. There's a reason why Nico Collins got nine targets and all those other Houston Whiteouts did not get <laughs> nine targets. Like, it, there's hierarchy to it. There's a reason why Jonathan Taylor makes that money and Tyler Goodson makes that money. Like, yes. So, no. Like, having full belief, you can have confidence and you can pat a guy on the back, but that's not reality. That's not reality. And, you know, I don't know if the basketball analogy is the perfect one because I've seen a lot of that. I've seen the. Would, would Rick Carlisle draw up a play for T.J. McConnell over Tyrese Halliburton in the final minute? Right. Would Gene Hackman have drawn up a play to Ollie over Jimmy Chitwood in the final minute of a game? Like, But if you play out the basketball analogy, what if T.J. McConnell hit three threes in a row and gotten to that point? There might be an element of saying, ride the hot hand. And I can yeah. kind of see that. Eddie, there was nothing hot about Tyler Goodson Saturday night. No. There was nothing hot about Gardner Minshew. 54% is one of the worst completion percentages of Gardner Minshew's career. And it's not like he was doing NFL blitz to bomb every single play back there. We we, we watched Minshew. Mm -hmm. It was dink and dunk nature to it. Goodson had one target before the fourth and one. And it was a wildly off-target one target. To your point, the play schemed Goodson open. There's There's no debating that. But in choosing the personnel you chose to be on the field, you're bringing risk. Because, again, inexperience, lack of ability, however you want to describe Minshew and Goodson. They're all harsh terms. I think, unfortunately, they're all acceptable terms in describing their NFL careers. You're bringing more risk onto that play than I think needed to be. Uh, I'd rather take a chance of a somewhat contested Michael Pittman catch than a wide-open I need Minshew to be accurate, and I need Goodson to catch it. Two, you needed two backups to perform in that situation there. Um, and that doesn't even get into, you know, what about Zach Moss up the gut behind Quentin Nelson? Something along those lines there. So, um, you know, Shane, you know, I, I asked Shane specifically, is this is there a philosophy of players, not plays? Because you hear that often. I, I, I'm a believer in that. Shane didn't really go there, but at one point in his press conference a little bit later on on Saturday night, he did say, this league is all about the players. At that moment, to me, it was two X's and OE in a boardroom on West 56th Street on a Thursday. And yeah, that play can work and the look can work, but you still need guys to deliver in that moment. And personnel matters. The personnel is part of a play call. Uh, that matters. It's not just the X's and O's. It's who is the X, who is the O. And in that moment, you put two vastly inexperienced slash unaccomplished individuals compared to the rest of your skill group into that moment. And with that, you bring risk in a bit. Yeah, yeah because I mean, when you think about it throughout the course of the season in those situations, Steichen's been creative. The, the Zaire Franklin package twice, uh, both to Mo Alley Cox. You had the touchdown in Cincinnati, um, and then of course you had the big 
uh, fourth down completion uh, to Mo that got like 20, 30 yards. And then uh, you have a, t- a Kylan Granson. Yeah, Granson's rush. been utilized a lot in the rub route stuff, I feel like. Yeah. He but, was the one. But he had like a jet sweep, I think, right, on a yeah. fourth and one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Tennessee game, I believe that yeah. was there. I mean, hell, I even thought a little bit of of me thought, you know, DRPO it up and see if Minshew's legs can do something here, just just as an additional option. I mean, that was good center bust yeah. on that play, and that's where I have the issue. Now, again, I, I want to make this clear, Eddie. I did this second for a reason, like, in, in, in what I didn't like. I know that everyone else is probably leading off with, you know, the the fourth and one call. No, for me, the bigger issue was 60 minutes of Nico Collins kicking your bleep and you know what. Oh, yeah. That's the bigger issue. Um, it bo- you know the games can boil down to fourth and one and those calls and uh, you know there were other moments in that game that you would have liked to have avoided there but um, I just thought it was a tad too cute and, and I want to go down swinging with my horses and whatever a baby what's a baby hor- horse a calf I mean like it, it just <laughs> it seemed like you went down that path and that's just a little too cute for my liking obviously. It could have worked. Mm-hmm. And I think I would have sat here and said, boy, that was risky. And it worked. Like, you know, it, like, there's still, like, this goes back to the notes I jotted down prior to the play. Like, Goodson question mark was what I jotted down as they broke the huddle of, like, whoa, that's what you're going with? And sure, there are plays that work from that, but you're still bringing Again, I want to be in control. What can I can control? I can control personnel in the field, and I can control the the pre-snap play call. Once Ryan Kelly snaps it back to Gardner Minshew, I'm out of control. And so if that's the case, it's put your players in positions to succeed. And you put a player, players, in my in my opinion, you put multiple players in positions where their level of of success is not as high as other guys. Um I want to share a couple things before we get to your final thing that you didn't like. Coming out of the bye week, how many touchdowns did the Colts' offense score in the second half? I, th- I thought I heard Joe Buck say this on e- ESPN. I think they had gone back to the last, or maybe it was Lisa Salters. I think they had said one touchdown in the last four games. So how much was it? Or, they scored four second-half touchdowns coming out of the bye week. And a lot of that was pre... Uh, you had one against the Texans. One against Pittsburgh, and that was the opening drive of the second half where Mo Alley-Cox had the touchdown. Uh, you had one against Tennessee. That was the Michael Pittman overtime game winner. Then you had one against Tampa Bay. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it, yeah clearly a, a, a huge issue. And then on third downs on Saturday, you had 11 of them. Convert one, obviously. Out of those 11, seven of them went to Jonathan Taylor. Six on the ground. One to Tyler Goodson. Two to Alec Pierce, one to Mo Alley Cox in terms of targets and plays designed. Zero for Pittman, zero for Josh Downs. Pittman had what, three catches in the first five plays of the game? Correct. Two the rest of the way? I think he only had three targets after that. And And, that one of them was incomplete, and that was in the two minute drive at the end of the first half. And I know this is not. I want to throw in the caveat of, like, I'm not saying this just to disparage the guy and say this is all on him, but it's just amazing that you exit another game, Eddie, and Alec Pierce plays, what, 64 of 66 snaps or whatever the final total was, and he doesn't have a catch. And, again, it's not all on him. But, like, 
obviously, I mean, there's that video of the of him, you know, wide, right, right. I know, open, I know. And, down and the sideline. Honestly, if there's a Colt player that should be as happy as possible to have Anthony Richardson back, it should be him. But still, like, oh god. Uh, all right, what was the last thing I didn't like? The quarterback Gardner Minshew. Yeah, I pretty much covered it. He was terrible. Fifty-four percent. Got you know get, got back to being the back of the baseball or not being the back of the baseball card guy that we had seen earlier in the year. Um, you know he was a creator against the Raiders. We talked about those plays, third and fourth downs. I mean, Eddie, I don't even know like what was Minshew's best play. Like, okay, give me C.J. Stroud's best play from Saturday night. Um, the the pass to Nico Collins. First play of the game? No, the um, the one where he's doing his Mahomes impression, scrambling around, Rodgers impression, whatever you want to do, extending the play, and then just flicks it out there for Collins. And Not the second and 13 where he takes a hit and delivers to Collins over the middle? That one, too. Either one of those. Now, I played devil's advocate there on purpose. We just named three plays. Yeah. I can't think of one for Minshew. And yeah. again, I, I get that C.J. Stroud is supposed to be at this level, but... It just goes back to the difference in the quarterback play. And then uh, there was also an element of, and and you saw a post-game of, you know, Minge, or, uh, you know Stroud and Richardson shaking up at midfield. It's just like, damn. You know, the Texans got that moment. They got mm-hmm. all those moments this year. And you didn't. And at the end of the year, it's, I think I added it up, Eddie, 37 Colts played more snaps than Anthony Richardson. Mm. You know, that, I mean, that's, you know, some dude named Jacob Martin. Everybody has Jacob Martin in their third grade class. Jacob Martin played more snaps than Anthony I actually Richardson. went to elementary school with a guy named Jacob Martin. There you go. Say no more. I, you know, so, um, boy, that was just another element. But, yeah, Minshew was um, he was not good. He was not good. You want to transition out of what you like? Yeah. Jonathan Taylor. Heroic. Heroic, Eddie. Best game of his career? Uh, no. I think considering the moment, you can make an argument. Um, obviously, some go back to the Buffalo game, the five touchdowns. Some go to the New England game a few years ago. To me, that that is up there. It, it's so rare to see a dude literally go in the locker room and come back <laughs> and play. Um, the jump cut on the 49-yard touchdown was just mouthwatering. I mean, that was beautiful. Um, again, you were waiting for the home run, waiting for the home run, waiting for it, and the home run comes on a dude <laughs> right there in his face, yeah. potentially tackle him at the line of scrimmage. Uh, he was an exceptional. He was exceptional. He was exceptional on a night when no one else sniffed it. Like you know, again, who was the second best Colt on Saturday night? The offensive line. I mean, yeah. I mean, no one in the wideout room. I, I mean, maybe Buckner. I guess if you want to go for somebody on on the defensive side of the Ryan, line, just Ryan Kelly for accurate snaps. Yeah, I, seriously, it just. And again, some of that is Taylor was that that good, and I want to make that clear. But damn, man, he was he was special. Fought through a lot. That's why you pay him the amount of money that you did pay him. Um, he was really good, and I think it's a very encouraging sign exiting Saturday night. Of can you imagine him with Richardson? One snap together, right? Just one. Un snap, yeah. Un snap together. I mean, you imagine that? Can you imagine what fourth and one looks like with Richardson and Taylor? Well, I guess maybe Richardson and Goodson. Would be, the, would be the better way to put it. Okay. Uh, but seriously, I mean, can you imagine what short yardage is going to look like next year with you know, that element in there? Um, yeah, Taylor was, God, he was, uh, he was incredible, man. 30 for 188, I think was the final number. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I think you made a strong argument, one of the best, if not the best game of his career. Um, I tweeted this out uh, yesterday, um, at Eddie Garrison underscore. I also sent this to you. Uh, I think 
the part of the game that changed that we haven't talked about enough is when Braden Smith got hurt. Uh, last 21 snaps. Yeah, share these numbers. These were eye-popping. Uh, last 21 snaps were with uh, Blake Freeland at right tackle. Uh, Jonathan Taylor had 11 carries for 20 yards. Uh, Zach Moss had two carries for seven yards. So you add those two up, 13 carries for 27 yards uh, when Braden Smith exited the game with that knee injury. And I looked even further. When you look back over the course of the season, uh, games played with Braden Smith, the Colts averaged nearly 4.6 yards per carry. Games without Braden Smith, that number drops to 4.1. He's an indispensable player. Um, yeah, I posted nine offseason storylines up on our website. We'll probably hit on those a little bit more next week on the pod, Eddie. Focus on it. But, you know, Braden Smith and Ryan Kelly are not free agents, but I do think it'll be interesting to see how those situations are handled. And, and I'm not saying like trade, cut, it's restructure, it's. Where's Kelly at personal-wise with multiple concussions at the age of 30? Um, what's the future hold behind those two spots? Is Blake Freeland definitely the guy at right tackle? I, I think drafting a center would make some sense at some point as well. So, um, yeah, those will be something to keep an eye on. Shall we dive into Twitter questions? We shall. Adam is up first. He would like to know who had the worst performance Saturday night. The safeties, the corners, or the quarterback? Boy, it's a great question. Um, I tend to say Gardner Minshew because I thought he had two touchdowns that just blatantly missed. He had the Mo Alley Cox. Could you say the safety's blue? Two touchdowns? That, you yeah. Know, you, know, uh, you know, part of me would probably say Minshew because he's the most experienced of that trio, but I thought, I, I just, I thought Julian Black, I, with Julian Blackman, I think he win the game. And I know Houston could counter and say, well, you know, whatever. If we had Robert Woods or another, you know, Jonathan, Jonathan Kennard, we're, we're going to win that game by more or something like that. But, man, did you feel Blackman? Or He's, if they don't commit as many penalties, they probably win God, by two scores. Eleven penalties in the game, yeah. Um, boy, you miss Blackman. You, you just He's just so consistent. Your best communicator. I'd argue your best, if not one of the best communicators in the entire football team. Best playmaker in the secondary, too. Led the team with interceptions. Yeah, and, 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 you know, even if – yeah, yes. But he he's just reliable. It's just like, you know, it's one of those things, Eddie, where if Blackman is in the game and gives over the top there to Nico or, or, or to Juju and that pass falls incomplete, Eddie, we don't discuss that play on the podcast. But yet he just saved 75 yards and a touchdown. You know, it's one of those things where, sure, he gets his hands on a few more balls. And by the way, I believe one pass defensed for the entire game. By the Colts, that's an inexcusable number in my mind as well. So, uh, yeah. Just, yeah. You, you could make cases for all of them. I'll go safeties, but I can hear, I, I can listen to all of them. The analogy that I want to make here is, Kevin, if you ever come to the day where you and uh, Mrs. Bowen would like to have three children, like my parents did, I'm the oldest of three, all three of us are very different. All three of us have different personalities. One of us has to be... Um, overlooked a little bit more and there's one that doesn't have to have you have to have much worry about blackman is the the kid <laughs> that you don't worry about because you know he's gonna be in the right spot at the right time and he's gonna make the play that is very well said i like that yeah you're welcome you can use it someday later good work by eddie garrison there. uh craig brings up an interesting <laughs> play here that i think we should talk about as well the 57 yard field goal attempt by matt gay what did you think of it 
at the time. Given how erratic Gay had been at the end of the season, that seemed overly risky and gave the Texans an easy path to a field goal. If the Colts had punted and pinned the Texans deep, uh, we are looking at a three-point game in the end. A lot of ifs, but I still think Shane Steichen should have been more conservative, especially given the D had settled down in the second half. What are your thoughts? And I remember you tweeting uh, as soon as that happened. You said, circle that. Circle that. That was exactly what I tweeted. Um, again, that's me kind of emptying my my pre-play notes. Um, you know, third and nine happens, and I I say to Chapel here, all right, you got to get something right. You know, the, was a third and fifteen? Didn't they do a draw to Taylor earlier in the game before Matt Gay field goal? Yeah, they got ten yards. Yeah, so I thought third and nine there. Okay, similar thing. Like, okay, make it fifty-two, fifty-one. I got no issue attempting the 57-yarder. I think Matt Gay has that. But in that moment, I thought it was a hair too risky. I would have liked to have seen a punt. Sanchez, I think, has punted the ball better here late in the season. Um, opportunity there to play the field position, play the net game. And, and you know, Houston's offense had been in a little bit of a rut, I thought, at that point as well. You miss it, and boom, there's some life. They get the ball at the 47. I think it only got one, maybe two first downs max, and then Fairbairn makes the 51-yarder. So that's a six-point swing, Eddie. I, I thought that was a huge, huge sequence. That's one that in a normal week, you know, when we do the a uh, pick kind of an under-the-radar play that really, really changed things that maybe we're not going to talk about a ton, that would be near the top of the list. Yeah, he was uh, – Matt Gay really did struggle. I mean, he made his first five from 50-plus – and then he was three for eight the rest of the really, season. Did I see this right? He's 30th in field goal percentage on the year. Uh, 80.5, probably. Do you have the totals there? I, I see you're looking up the Matt Gay thing. Uh, the totals from 50? 50, he was eight of 13. Yeah. So obviously kicked a lot from north of 50 Started there. five for five. Yeah. And again, how much the injury there on that one? So, Yeah, that was a huge play, Craig. Huge, huge sequence. Six-point swing. Uh, I, I thought it gave Houston some life there moving forward. Next up is Scotty. In my view, for the last play of the Colts, that is a million percent our Gardner Minshew. Jonathan Taylor was hobbled, and the play wasn't designed with him in mind. The play would have worked with competent quarterback play. Minshew showed why he is a backup. Your thoughts? Right there. The play would have worked with competent quarterback play. Again, this is where my issue is with the play call and the decision. Gardner Minshew had not shown competent ability on Saturday night. That That's where I get to the root of it. And if you want to say, you know what, we're, we are going to throw it. Well, then don't compound it and say, we're going to throw it to a guy that, I mean, how many balls has Minshew thrown to Goodson in his life? You know, let alone that compared to Pittman or Downs. Um, I mean, I really thought Pittman Downs rub route. That, that was kind of where I was at. No matter who Houston cheats on there, the other one, you have ample trust, I think, in both of those guys in that situation. So, again, don't put two backups in the most pressure-packed play of the season. You do that, prepare yourself for the consequences. And you got low and inside versus high and outside. Um, God, imagine if that was Reich. Oh, boy. I go back to that Houston game. The Chester Rogers fourth Oh Yeah. And that was early in the right tenure there. So Chester Rogers, my goodness. Yeah, and that okay. I, I I'm glad you brought that up. This is where context matters. 
This is where, you know, I think at that point of, the, uh, of that 2018 game, T.Y. Hilton and Jack Doyle had exited due to injury. Like, so what you thought on Wednesday or Thursday and who you thought would be out there, that's not there anymore on Sunday afternoon. So you need to make sure that you adjust accordingly. And if you thought Minshew was going to have a better day, he wasn't. And the, and the one target to Goodson was, again, wildly inaccurate from earlier in the game. So it just it didn't check any box for me from a hot hand standpoint. From you felt good about one of the two parties in what they had done earlier in the game that had not been there. Um, there are cute play calls that work. Obviously, Philly special comes to mind more than any, but they bring a ton of risk. And in the biggest play of the season, I'm trying to limit as much risk as possible. Next up are Joe and Chris. They're asking about Gus Bradley. Want to highlight something that uh, Shane Steichen said today at locker room cleanout regarding Gus Bradley. He says that uh, he's worked with Gus for four years. He's a big believer in continuity. Mm-hmm. So, pre not a whole lot there in terms of commitment toward the future, or whether or not he'll be back next season. But Joe and Chris would like to know what your thoughts on Gus Bradley are. They listened to Rick Venturi before the game, and he said that you have to double Nico Collins and blitz a lot. Is there any way we can get Venturi as our defensive coordinator? <laughs> Thanks. Love the show and the pod. Boy, I, I, I love me some Coach Venturi. Don't know uh, at the age with the grandkids uh, where they're at if he wants to. Or Miss Sherry, right? Or, or Miss Sherry, certainly, uh, if they want him taking part in that. Um, Eddie, uh, what, what do I want from a defense coordinator? I want someone that's going to make the offense dictate to them. I want a Tuesday night, C.J. Stroud and Bobby Slowick saying to themselves, man, what do you think they're going to do to us? What do you think they're going to throw at us? What are they going to do, personnel-wise, disguises, coverages, blitz packages, those sorts of things. I want aggressive. I want variety. Uh, I want all that. And I don't think you get enough of that from him. And, you know, you hear Steichen's comments from earlier today, and unfortunately that happened during our morning show, so I wasn't able to make it out there. But it does seem like, you know, he was asked pretty directly about Gus Bradley. Uh, It certainly sounds like a guy that will bring him back. You know, I think at times a coach can cop out a little bit and say, yeah, we're going to evaluate everybody, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I didn't necessarily get that from him. But I think this is a really critical point in Steichen's head coaching tenure. And I know that, you know, you might look at it and say, well, Kevin, it's year two. You know, Eddie, think back to last year. Shane Steichen doesn't get hired to what, mid-February? A lot on his plate. He knows Gus Bradley. He retains him. Defense have been fine. Okay, that makes sense. Now it's your first full offseason. You've got a month and a half. You've got your feet underneath you. You know what you're doing at quarterback. Um, You can breathe a little bit. Now is a time where you have to look in the mirror, in my opinion, and say, what do I want my defense to be like in the Shane Steichen era? Because again, Eddie, as I've said so many times with offensive play callers as head coaches, don't lose sight of the first title to your name. Head coach. This is the defense underneath you. You are the head football coach. Um, So I think a long conversation needs to be had. And I don't want to sit here and act like Gus Bradley has been horrific. And I don't want to act like he's working in a five-star restaurant with the ingredients that are available to him. Because that's not there. Um, But you have to ask yourself, do you feel like he can coordinate a championship-level defense? Complimentary? Eh, maybe. 
championship level? That would be a question that I would have. So I would look long and hard hard at it. That is my two cents on it. Um, again, I think the personnel can still be improved as well. Um, but, uh, you know, just, just go back to Saturday night. And I know it's easy to probably go off the most recent thing, and it, it's a damning uh, final impression, if you will, Eddie, of the season. But when personnel is deficient, that means you schematically have to overcome that. And schematically... Nine catches, nine targets, 195 yards for the only accomplished wideout on the Houston Texans. I was listening to the um, Colts pregame huddle with Bill Brooks, Jeffrey Gorman, JMV, and Joe Wrights, and they were talking about um, Nico Collins and how you can contain him. And Bill was like, you know, he's a bigger receiver, so he doesn't like to be touched at the line of scrimmage because those guys need as much free release as they can typically to get up to speed and get in and out of their breaks. And there was none of that. Like, I don't understand why the Colts never press at the line of scrimmage to try and delay the route tree. Yeah, disrupt timing that way. Yeah, mm-hmm. to help your pass rush right. if your pass rush isn't getting home yeah. instead of playing off and letting those receivers get free releases every single time. No, I, I think it's a great point. It's 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 a great point. Uh, while we're talking about guests, Bradley, let's go to Connor's question. He says, everyone is talking about the play call at the end of the game, but to him what stands out more is how Gus Bradley just let the Texans' only valuable receiver torch them. This surely is the end of his time here, correct? Yeah, again, we got a lot of Gus-related questions. Um, yeah, I mean, to Connor's point, you know, I, I, I couldn't agree more there. Um, I thought Woods would play. I, I You know, it's such a preseason group of wideouts for Houston. So, yeah, I think um, that one stands out. You know, it, it, a little bit of Puka Nakua vibes. You want to go back to that Rams game? Mm-hmm. You know, Hopkins had a big game. When you face – I mean, hell, Nico had a huge game the first time <laughs> that you that you faced them as well. You know, you can make the argument a little bit more from a backdoor standpoint. You know, I, I tweeted out before the game, and I got a lot of pushback for it. I tweeted out those week two numbers. Yeah. Uh, six sacks, nine hits, 16 hurries, and he still threw for 380. And a lot of people said, well, hey, how much of that was in garbage time? That's why I was saying that your D-line has got to do that because you hit him early. So if you didn't hit him early, in my opinion, C.J. Stroud would have still thrown for 380 because it would have come early in the game and then they would have ran it late. Like You mm-hmm. have got to hit him in order to keep him away from the historic night that he is, or the big night, however you want to describe it, that he is capable of. Um, and obviously, you did not do enough of that on uh, on Saturday night. Oftentimes, you hear people mention that the final loss of the season is a summary of the entire season, and Saturday was just exactly that. The defense couldn't get a stop when they needed to get a stop on a short, quick change, missed field goal at midfield. That were, that was the problem early in the season that we had highlighted during the pod. I don't have the exact numbers there. The offense, um, Gardner Minshew, very inconsistent, and it just kind of all came together in what was the final game of the year. Yeah, and I will add one more to it is that final Texans drive. Yes. First and 20, you know, second and 14, second and 13, second and 20. Um you know, I, I, yeah, yeah. Two questions left. Kit, based off your instant reaction tweet, you weren't a fan of the last call, but I think the look was good. I think I could have made that throw. Does Shane Steichen credit? Does Shane Steichen deserve credit for the creative call if it works? I know you had already kind of mentioned that you would have been, ooh. Yeah, you know, it, it, again, it's jotting down the notes 
before play and you know don't let that cloud you it's just again it brings a lot of risk and and like i was saying some of those plays work um certainly but in that moment when all your eggs are in the basket you know taking that time out eddie we haven't really talked about that too too much but taking the time out eliminated any other chance what um, about uh jonathan running out of bounds on the the second down play, right, right, instead right. of cutting up field. And I think he did it on, on two straight plays, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah. He did. Um, you know, that also eliminated any other option. You know, if you don't take the timeout there and you play the timeout game after that, you know, maybe get the ball back with a minute 10, minute 20 to go. I mean, without any timeouts, but still, that's a decent amount of time to try and make some noise there. Um, but, yeah, that was along those lines as well. Do you think that was Gus Bradley – or not Gus Bradley, but Shane Steichen subtly saying that he didn't have confidence in his defense at that time to come up with the stop when they needed it most, so he needed to run the clock down as much as he could? Um, That's a good question. I don't think – I think you really want to see Houston's look. I mean, yeah, I think that was – and, you know, giving the ball back to Stroud, you obviously run the risk of not getting it back. Exactly. So, you know, that which is fair. I, I Again, I don't have as an egregious of a thought on the timeout. I'm not like as what the hell were you doing? You know, the, we've seen moments this year where like the Colts have kind of run up and hurried it in those situations, or certainly done the run up and hurry it and try to draw them off sides. That's been the popular thing. Yeah, with Steichen, but um, I don't think it was that much of it. Final Twitter question comes from Kay Ferguson: Is this the worst possible situation? the Colts could have had this season. Ricky quarterback misses almost the entire season. Backup comes in and barely misses the playoffs, which gives the Colts a mid to late round draft position as you're trying to dim the lights and set the mood in here. I was terrified of this scenario before the season started. The Colts will pick 15th. Yeah, you're probably terrified of me dimming the lights too. Um, (laughs) Yeah, 15th overall pick, right? Third place schedule? Yes. Yeah, I mean, this definitely falls into a bit of a trap of what I felt at the start of the season. You know, Richardson, I mentioned earlier, 37 Colts played more snaps than him. Um, yeah, Jacob Martin playing more snaps. You know, if you narrow it down to the biggest storyline of the season, I, I don't know how you look at it and not say that it wasn't a bummer and just the miss. You know, Eddie, he didn't play on the road. You know, didn't didn't you know start and finish a road game. You know, really, yeah. Houston was the only you know, road experience that he that he got there. So um, I think that is what is so, you know, disappointing about that element. Again, there are other storylines. You know, I remember at the start of the year, Eddie, I went back and I did the, you know, six answers the Colts must find this season. You know, one was Richardson's growth. One was Taylor's future. You know, you got an answer there. One was Bernard Ryman and Quiddy Pay. I think you feel really good. And then we'll get into the other topic probably at this point in the offseason. I think the other one is of heavy debate, in my opinion. And I don't think you should pick up the fifth-year option, frankly, on Quiddy Pay. Um, another storyline I had was, do Shaq Leonard and or Kenny Moore get back to their normal selves? Well, one is a no, and I'd say the other is a yes. Um, so, again, there are some other storylines. You know, Shane Steichen as a head coach, I think you have to feel – very encouraged by what you saw on that end with it. I do want to throw in one more thing because we've seen some quotes come out from this locker room clean out. Uh, Ryan Kelly had a quote. You know, he's pretty adamant. You know, wasn't isn't happy, I guess, about the retirement sort of conversation that revolves around him. Mm. Um, you know, I've probably been one of that has certainly said. You know, will he ponder that sort of thing? And I. I want to make sure that I've made it clear that is my own like thought. Clearly, Ryan Kelly does not think that. Um, I say that based off 
a little bit of scar tissue with Colts players right. and retiring at a rather young age. I mean, he is at an age where Andrew Luck retired, where I guess he's not – he's right around kind of – isn't he around the Jack Doyle age? Costanzo? Um, Anthony Costanzo, certainly. So, you know, you have offensive guys that have accomplished a lot. Um, and, again, in Kelly's case, there's been multiple concussions. There's been a whole lot off the field that he's had to deal with. So Now a father of two? He makes – yes, now a father of two. He makes it very clear that that's not happening. Um but I still think, you know, drafting a center kind of mid round, mid rounds makes sense for me mm-hmm. here moving forward. Um, Eddie Garrison, anything else you would like to add? Uh, Michael Pittman Jr. comments from today at locker room cleanout. Yeah, I didn't. I, Pittman's a guy that he really, really appreciates what the Colts provided him this season with Shane Steichen. Um, he also is the son of a 10-year NFL vet that played running back. So mm-hmm. he gets value and he gets money and he gets worth. Um, if you're going to tag him, you better get that long-term deal or else you're going to have some issues. I mean, he's probably going to be a guy that would hold out. Because what, opinion. he's 23 million sounds good, right? 23 million on that tag there. Um, I, I'd be comfortable tagging him. I know 23 million rubs a lot of people the wrong way. Uh, welcome to NFL finances in yep. 2024. Welcome to the wide receiver position. Welcome to trying to support your young quarterback. And that number's only going to go up. Right, so that's kind of where I'm at with Pittman. But if and I, I have not said this about every Colt free agent. I think Ballard loves him, loves him. Mm-hmm. So I do think they can get there. Um, there is a little birdie on my other shoulder. It says, Kevin, have you seen Chris Ballard in market value with free agents and how mm-hmm. stringent he is with that? So there is a little bit of that that I'm kind of like, okay, I'm not ready to say you know it's going to be in sharpie, but. Also answered his comment last year about uh, the tag. He's never used it. He has never used it. I think this is the most realistic time to use it. And and this dates back to Grigson with McAfee. You know, McAfee was obviously upset about it in 2013. But I don't think in 2014, 15, or 16, those other Grigson years, they had even a candidate Mm -mm. to realistically use it. So this one makes a whole lot of sense. So um, I'll say this to end it, Eddie. I love doing these. Um, I love working with you on a, I guess, twice-a-week basis, and now we'll just shorten it to once a week. And I appreciate everybody out there that listen to these podcasts. I know at times maybe um, they aren't the most uh, whatever rose-colored sort of point of view coming off of a loss like you had on Saturday night. But I try to keep it as real and honest as possible. I'm such a big believer in that, and, and that's what I want from the content that I consume. And so I, I, I try to provide that to our audience as well. So we'll continue to do Twitter questions. If any of you have any ideas for us in the offseason, from a topic standpoint, feel free to toss that our way. You know, usually we can kind of get through the first, you know, handful of months of the offseason, and it's pretty easy mm-hmm. to come up with content. It's more June and July where sometimes we scramble a bit. But if you guys have anything out there for us, feel free to let us know. And, and a sincere thank you for listening um, to us throughout the year. I know this season provided certainly a lot more, again, positive moments than we thought entering it. And I know Saturday was quite the stinging feeling to it, but I will say there are reasons to be optimistic. There are reasons to be encouraged. And, um, you know, Eddie, I haven't said this probably since exiting. I probably haven't said this since January 2019. The Colts are on the right path. Mm -hmm. There still are a lot of roadblocks and a lot of hurdles to clear on that path but you're on the right path and that to me is the most encouraging sign exiting this season and now it's uh 
time to try and get further down that path and try to set yourself up to be on that road for quite some time. Yep. The opponents are out for next season, so quickly here at home, the Colts will have C.J. Stroud and the Texans. Trevor Lawrence and the Jags, Will Levis and the Titans, obviously because they're divisional rivals. But uh, in terms of the non-divisional teams, Tua Tungavaiola and the Miami Dolphins, Josh Allen, the Buffalo Bills, whomever the quarterback is for the Pittsburgh Steelers, whomever the quarterback is for the Chicago Bears, and Jared Goff and the Detroit Lions, or maybe even Hendon Hooker, depending Whoa. on where they go. Easy now. Yeah, I know. Uh, and then Take of course, that, Goff fans. Eddie Garrison planting his flag. Well, hey, you never know. And hookers we trust. Yeah. And, <laughs> uh, and then you're away. You'll be at Houston, Jacksonville, Tennessee, at maybe New York with uh, Aaron Rodgers, the Jets. You have New England on the road, Giants on the road, Packers on the road, Vikings on the road, Broncos on the road, and I'm going to try to make it to Lambeau because that is somewhere I have always wanted to go. And last time the Colts were there, well, I frankly didn't have a car yet and I didn't have money. So, yeah, it um, it's an awesome, awesome place. Uh, absolutely love my one experience in Lambeau. I was fortunate to go there in 2016. Jordan Todman, I believe, kick return for a touchdown to start yes. that game. Yeah. Um, who's the other NFC team besides the North? Uh, so let's see. Giants? Yes. That's who finished third in the NFC East? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So your third place games aren't too bad. Giants, Steelers, and Broncos, that's who you added with yesterday? That home that home schedule is a little oh, tough. Home schedule is different. Yeah, I mean, you get two and Josh Allen both at home. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, uh yeah. And that's, again, that gets back to kind of the opportunities, Eddie. You know, they just don't. They don't grow on trees, and the AFC South looks looks legit. It, 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 it ain't the true, t- true TV division. That it has been for several years. Eddie, thank you, my man. Always. I I, love doing these every week. And like you said, thank you to everyone who listens, uh, whether you download the podcast from wherever you get your podcast or you uh, watch on YouTube. He's Eddie Garrison. I'm Kevin Bowen. Everybody have a great week. We'll talk to you next week.